Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to Daniel chapter 7. We began last week looking at the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel takes a, a dramatic shift in, cha- in chapter 7. We spend chapter 1 through 6 and we're dealing with the narrative. We're dealing with Daniel and the, uh, Daniel and the other children of Judah uh, being exiled uh, to Babylon. We deal with, uh, with the favor of God upon Daniel, upon Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may remember them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We see uh, Daniel's visions that, that uh, are the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar has. We see the dreams that Belshazzar has. We see Daniel uh, in the lion's den. We see the narrative in Daniel chapter 1 through 6. And then chapter 7 transitions. And it transitions not only in its, in its theme, it transitions in its language, it transitions in, its, in the genre of literature. We go from a narrative to apocalyptic literature that is, that is deep in symbolism, deep in imagery, deep in, in, in uh, the, the meaning. Uh, it's, it's loaded with uh, symbolic content. And, and it's natural for us to take Daniel chapter 7 through the end of the book and see, and say, well, well, this right here is talking about the end times. This right here is talking about what's going to happen whenever Jesus comes back. But we need to resist the temptation to, to immediately ask the question that, that, that we've been conditioned to ask by our Sunday school classes, what does this passage mean to us? And ask the question, what does this passage mean? Because the Bible can never mean anything to us that it did not mean to its original audience. The Bible has one and only one meaning. It has many applications, but the Bible can only mean what it meant, and it can't mean anything that it never meant. And so we have to understand that before this passage means anything to you or I, before this this passage uh, uh, directs us to interpret uh, other passages, that we have to understand what the first Christian century audience would have understood in this passage. And we understand that Israel, that Judah is in exile. They have been, northern tribes have been, a con- have been conquered by Assyria. They're in exile. The southern tribes have been conquered by Babylon. They're in exile. And now all of Israel has been taken over by Persia and they are now in control. Now, this is what is going on at the time of the audience reading this passage. That being said, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14 through 28. I'm sorry, let's Verse 13. And I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. But as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And I approached one of those who were standing by and began to ask him the exact meaning of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom 
and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns which were on his head and the other horn which came up before the three of them and fell and fell. Namely, the horn which had eyes and a mouth and uttering great boasts, which was larger in appearance than its associates. And I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth and tread, tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue the three kings. And he will speak out against me, the Most High, and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for times, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment. His dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever then the sovereignty the dominion the greatest of all the kingdoms is under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him and at this point the revelation ended as for me daniel my thoughts were greatly alarming me my face grew pale i kept the matter to myself let's pray Father, your Holy Spirit says when we lack wisdom, we can ask of God who gives freely thereof. Lord, so we're asking for your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to give us revelation, to give us clarity as we deal with your word. Lord, may you not only encourage us, Lord, but may you you apply your word to our lives that we may leave this place and be different. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After reading this passage, many of you are going to say, look, let's go back to Matthew, Mark. Luke, I mean, I, I understand what that's about. I know that's about Jesus, and, 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 and we can read, you know, Jesus was on the boat, and, and the, the storms, and, and we, we, we understand that. Let's go back to, to Paul's encouragement to the church at Corinth when he says, uh, you know, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. I, I can get that. But, but the scripture tells us uh, in Acts chapter 20 that Paul spoke to the Ephesian church at the end of his tenure, and he says, I am free from the blood of all men because I did not cease to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And spirit-anointed preaching compromises no truth, avoids no subject, and fears no reaction. So we're going to attempt to walk through the book of Daniel. Uh, and so I want to go ahead and apologize beforehand uh, because I'm going to say some things. I'm going to, uh, uh, we're going to have differences of opinion on how this passage is interpreted. Uh, you can email me later. Uh, we'll go ahead and deal with that. Uh, so, so uh you know, just jot down your, your, your disagreements and, and email me later, uh, and we'll talk about that at that point. But let us look at the text. Now, as we, as we concluded last week, as we concluded last week, we, we talked about Daniel's, Daniel's vision. And in the midst of Daniel's vision, there are these four beasts. There's this beast that looks like a, a lion, this beast that looks like a, a bear, this beast that looks like a leopard, and then this fourth beast that, that, that we, can't even, we can't even describe what it looks like. It's just horrific. And in the midst of this description of all of these beasts, Daniel stops and says, but there's an ancient of days who sits upon a throne. 
and he is sovereign, and he is king, and, and, and of his dominion there will be no end. And then there is one who is coming, like the Son of Man. And, and this, this secret behind history reminds us that in the midst of chaos, that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, that, that there is a king who is on his throne. And knowing this secret doesn't keep us from pain but it should keep us from panic. It doesn't doesn't absolve us from hardship. It doesn't absolve us from pain. In fact, if you look at the 12 apostles, you remove Judas and replace Judas with Paul, all of them, with the exception of John, was killed a martyr's death. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, they, they had a heart attack in the middle of the night. No, they were beheaded. They were crucified upside down. They were put in a vat of boiling oil. They were, they, were, they were stoned. They were cast off of the temple. They were drawn and quartered. These men died a, a vicious, horrific death for the cause of Christ. If you go back and you look at the history of the church, the scripture tells us that the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. It wasn't until... 400 years after Christ, that that, that persecution amongst believers really began to to subside. And so, when we understand following Jesus, it does not absolve us from pain. It does not absolve us from hardship. In fact, Paul says, if any of you desire to live godly, you will be persecuted. But what it does is in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial, in the midst of, of tragedy, it ought to keep us from panic. Because there is one who sits on the throne, and he is the Ancient of Days. Now, that's where we left off last week. And so we're going to pick up this week, Daniel, and I think it's interesting, Daniel is the interpreter of dreams, and Daniel asks somebody to interpret this for him. He, he says, hey, can, can you give me some clarity on this? I know that, that, that God has you know, given me the ability and the wisdom to discern all these dreams and all these visions, but, but you know, you know, you, can you help a brother out? This is where Daniel is. And, and it doesn't even tell us who this bystander is. It may have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It may have been some, some figmental person. It, it may have been uh, some, but, but there's this guy, and Daniel says, hey, what does this all mean? And he says, well, let me explain this to you. And he tells Daniel nothing that Daniel didn't already know. He says, by the way, these beasts, these, these, these animals, they are, they are kingdoms of this world, reminding us that the wicked are becoming increasingly wicked. The scripture tells us this. It says that in the last days that, that men will become not only wicked, not only evil, but they will become inventors of evil. As if, as if we didn't have enough wickedness in and, of our, in and of ourselves that we're going to invent, we're going to make up ways to become more, more depraved and more vile and more evil. And the message of Daniel is that it doesn't matter if the king is Babylon, if the leaders are, are Persian, if they're Greek, if they're Roman, if they're Chinese, if they're Russian, if they're American, the king and the kingdom does not matter. There is no peace apart from the prince of peace. Now, it's important that we note that Daniel is saying this, and he's saying this from an advantageous point. 
Because Daniel is sitting second in command only to the king of Persia. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in, are in very high administrative roles amongst the people of Babylon, the people of Persia. And so it's not as if Daniel's saying this from a prison cell. He's saying this from the cabinet. He's saying this from a position of authority, from a position of power, saying, you know what, Israel? Even though I am sitting in the highest seat in all of the land, there is no peace in this world apart from that which is the Son of Man. There is no peace, there is no tranquility, there is no absolution from pain, from hardship, from destruction, because you know what? After Persia dies, after Persia is no more, after, there is, after this kingdom falls, there's coming another one. And it is going to be a beastly kingdom. And then after this kingdom, guess what? There's coming another kingdom. And that kingdom is going to be a beastly kingdom. And eventually, there's going to be a kingdom which is so wicked and so vile that, that, that this world cannot even comprehend. I can't even describe how wicked and how vile this is. And so, as we read the book of Daniel, we need to avoid the temptation to, to begin assigning uh, this king represents this beast represents this kingdom this beast represents this kingdom this beast represents this kingdom and, un, and 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 back up and understand the biblical principle that daniel is saying that look it doesn't matter babylon persia greek rome it doesn't matter they're wicked kingdoms and it doesn't matter if you have political power if you have political clout doesn't matter if you have friends in high places because as we saw in daniel chapter 6 even friends in high places can't keep you out of the lion's den let us be careful not to give hope to a political party, to a democratic government. Let us not think that, that an election is going to fix that which only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords can fix. St. George, no St. George, it doesn't matter. Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, it doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat, Independent, it doesn't matter. It's just one liar, one wicked, evil leader, or the other wicked, vile, evil leader. And that's what Daniel is telling Israel. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Cyrus, Darius, it doesn't matter. The Ancient of Days is coming. And when the Ancient of Days is coming, that and only then will we find peace. I want us to notice, go to chapter 25. Let us be careful not to give hope and assurance to anyone other than the Son of Man. Look at chapter 25. And he will speak out against the Most High, this being that, that, that fourth king, that, that fourth beast and the horn and all this kinds of stuff. So this is, this is the bad guy. Uh, you know, I, I don't want us to, I want us to avoid the temptation to say, well, well, this is Greece or this is Rome or, you know, all we need to know in reading this text is this is the bad guy. Verse 25, and he will speak out against the most high and he will wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law and they will be given into his hand for times times half a time 
that last part of the text right here where it says, and they, they being the saints of God, will be given into his hand. Let us remember who is sovereign and who is controlled. It is the Ancient of Days. It is he who delivers. It is he who, who, who gives strength and gives power to his people as well as allows kingdoms to exist. And it is God who will give his people into the hands of the enemy for a time's times and half a time and you say well that doesn't tell me anything preacher the 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 literal translation of a times times and half a time is is three and a half years so so what the author is saying is that there's going to be a limited amount of time where god will give his people over to the hands of this wicked leader this wicked kingdom and and we have a tendency we have a tendency to think in our plush luxurious American churches that God will will keep his church from experiencing hardships, trial, and pain. However, that's completely contrary to the scripture. If that were true, Peter would not have been crucified upside down. James would not have been killed. Paul would not have been killed, beaten, shipwrecked thrown in prison countless times. Peter and John would not have been beaten half to death just by healing somebody in the name of Jesus. Every account of the New Testament tells us that that as the apostles, as the New Testament church suffered for Christ, they did so in His, and and as they shared in, in His suffering, they shared in His glory. The testimony of the early church is littered with 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 leader after leader as Polycarp was being burned alive. He was singing praises and hymns and, and, and quoting psalms as he was being burned alive and the wind and the rain would come and put out the flame and the entire lower half of his body was charred beyond recognition so much so that, that, that those bystanders were praying to God to take his life so that his suffering went in. And as they're doing so, Polycarp is, is, is crying out, your fire cannot consume me. The church, the body of Christ, is filled with men and women who have suffered for the cause of Christ. There's a little clip I want to play right now. It's only a two-minute clip, but I want you to listen to what Matt Chandler says about the gospel. I think there's a clip. Matt Chandler is a pastor in Dallas, Texas. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18. He is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, top, nothing above him, nothing else to gain, nothing else to get. The goal, the end, what it's all about is Jesus Look at me. I'm going to try to combat something as best as I can here. Look at me. Following Jesus is not going to make you wealthy. Following Jesus does not guarantee that you're going to be healthy. 
the message of Scripture and the gospel of Christ is not that in following him, everything goes right, but that he is enough no matter what happens. That's the message of the gospel. Not that everything's going to be okay. And it's maddening to me that the prosperity gospel is so unbelievably popular among people who then have to completely disregard scripture as well as Christian history. Every apostle in the Bible dies bad. I mean bad. They don't like stumble in the street and get run over by a car. They get beheaded. They get crucified upside down. They get boiled in oil. They die poor. And they're slaughtered. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, struggles with depression his whole life and then dies. Christianity has been built and has carried through the generations on the blood of men. Not on the wealth. This is an absurd idea that would make Christ not preeminent, but what he could give you. That is not Christianity, that is something entirely different. And it's heresy that would have got you burned alive 200 years ago. Go back to Daniel chapter 7, Chris. As we see this text, I want us to understand that God gives the church. He gives the saints over to the power of... In verse 25, he gives them over to the dominion and over to the power of this wicked one. He doesn't, he doesn't, it says right here, and they will be given into his hand for a time, three and a half years, that, that they will be given into the time. Not only, not only do we, do we see the church suffering for generation after generation under the, under the reign of Diocletian, the great persecution that were literally Christians dying by the thousands every day as this Roman emperor declared open war on Christianity. If you're living in Rome during the second century and Diocletian begins to kill Christians by the thousands, you're thinking, well, this is coming to fruition. This is happening. Christianity is made beautiful. Not because of what, what we have, but for who we have. We have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. And surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside our sin and encumbrance which so, evilly, which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself by sinners that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your striving against sin. Consider Jesus. But I want to encourage you with this. You say, well, preacher, that doesn't really make me want to go follow Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we get to go suffer. We get to go 
you know, who's next to be beheaded? Who's next to be thrown in, in, in prison? Who's next to be burnt alive? Sign me up. But hear the truth of the gospel. Turn, uh, put verse 25 back up. He gives them over to their hands for times, times, and half a time. There is a limit to what God will allow the enemy to do. Amen? There is a limit. God will only allow the enemy, God will only allow that, that, those wicked kingdoms to go so far, and then he says, that's far enough. My people, my church, my bride means more to me. And I will allow them to endure. I will allow them to suffer for my glory's sake, but only so far. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Judges chapter Judges chapter 10, verse 16. This is a beautiful picture of the grace of God in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 10, verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. Verse, the end of that verse. And he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. You know, whenever I was a, Whenever I was growing up, my mom and dad absolutely believed uh, the teaching of Solomon. Solomon said, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And so uh, my parents loved me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and whenever I stepped out of line, uh, uh, the rod was definitely not spared uh, on my rear end. Uh, and, and, and I would, I would, in fact, growing up whenever I was little, uh, it was not uncommon for me to get multiple spankings in a daily, uh, in a day. Uh, but I'll, I'll say with, with, uh, Sam Thomas, my parents didn't spank, my parents whipped or, or, or whooped, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch a spanking. I caught a whooping, uh, and, and it was a bad day, uh, whenever dad would come home, uh, and, and mom would say, mom would say, he's in the back, he's waiting on you. And, and, and I would catch a whooping. But even in the midst of the discipline, I knew that the suffering that my parents would only allow me to go so far. And I see this with my own children. I have three beautiful kids. Uh, I have one of them that's uh, five uh, and weighs about 17 pounds. Uh, and eats nothing but uh, but Doritos, uh, crackers, uh, and cereal. And uh, this poor child is going to be malnourished, and he's going to, uh, you know, the, the child services are going to come and get me. And so, so every now and again, my wife and I will 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 draw a line in the sand, and there'll be pork chops for dinner, and he'll be sitting up on top of the bar, and and are sitting at the table, and and everybody's eating, and everybody's gone to their taking bath, and they're. They're playing in their rooms, and, and there Nicholas sits at the table. Big old crocodile tears running down his face. I say, Nicholas, you can't get up until you eat your pork chop. And he knows that he's going to sit there for an hour, hour and a half, and the food's going to become ice cold, and, and, and everybody's going to play the Wii, and they're going to watch TV, and they're going to play in their rooms, and, and then bedtime's going to come, and Nicholas is going to sit at the table, <laughs> until his pork chops are all gone, and, and I'll look over at him, and I'll say, Nicholas, are you going to eat your pork chops? And he says, big old tears ringing down his face. He goes, no, sir. 
So I'll just get mad and just yelling and screaming, go to your bed. And so he goes to bed after, after my, my anger subsides a little. I'll make my way into his bed and I'll, we'll say our prayers and I'll tuck him in. And then he'll look at me with those big old eyes and he'll say, Daddy, my tummy hurts. <laughs> and there is a, just a conflict within me because I want to say, well, next time your tummy hurts, you ought to think about eating that pork chop that's good for you. And, 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 and I just want to get so mad. But the dad says, how can you let this baby go to bed hungry with all of the resources and all of the food in our pantry? How can you let him go to bed hungry? And I want us to see the grace of God in Judges. That God said, I can suffer their pain no more. And in Daniel, as these wicked kings and wicked kingdoms are are persecuting and, and destroying and trampling the body of Christ, God says, I can bear their suffering no more and I'm only going to allow it for a time. And church, hear this. This morning, you may have come to us you may have come to service this morning and you may have showed up here just because your kids are singing and your life is, is a wreck and, and the world is kicking you in the teeth and it seems like you are living with the lion and the bear and the leopard and this fourth beast that has horns and, 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 and your boss and your, your, your spouse and your, your in-laws and everything in your life is just, is just upside down. Hear the message of Daniel. It's only for a time. God will only allow your suffering, your pain, and your hardship for a time. And then on the other side, there's grace. There's grace. Abundant and free. Hear the victory in Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 27. Then, the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and to all and all the, the dominions will serve and obey Him. Church, victory belongs to Jesus. In Christ and in Christ, we have victory in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hardship. Last Sunday night, I felt like I was in the presence of spiritual royalty. We had Dr. Samuel Thomas here from India. He's a man who's had 19 assassination attempts on his life, a man who was in prison, beaten nearly half to death, a man who has given his life for the cause of Christ. And he stands up here behind this pulpit and he reads out of Luke chapter 8 as the disciples are in the boat and it's about to sink. And he says, where is your faith? And as he was in the midst of prison, 
He said, that passage kept coming to my mind. Where is your faith? Church, the victory has already been won. We serve a victorious king. We serve a risen Savior. Christ has been raised from the dead. Sin has been defeated. Whenever Jesus hung upon the cross, he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. Where is, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Christ has defeated sin, death, and the grave. And so in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, we must understand that we serve a risen king. The victory has already been won. This suffering, this trial, this hardship is only temporary. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This ought to encourage us, church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. And we are still in our sins. But what's the flip side of that? Christ has been raised from the dead. And so since he has been raised from the dead, we are, our faith is not worthless. We have a hope in a living Savior. Every other church, every other religion, every other faith places their faith and their trust in what man can do. Christianity is the only faith that places our faith and our trust in what Christ has done on our behalf. Amen? Romans chapter 8, Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, therefore, there is no condemnation for all those who are in Christ. None. And get, skip down to the end of Romans chapter 8. We like to read Romans chapter 8 in, 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 in sections, but if you, if you read it all the way through, he starts out saying, there is, for therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he concludes... With this, he says, but in all of these things, what are all of these things? Well, let's back up. Verse 35, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Why is he saying this to the church in Rome? Because this is what they're about to face. They're about to face Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Verse 36, for just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Church, I know that as you come here this morning, you feel as though you're in Babylon. Our world is a wicked, wicked place. If it's not sexual immorality or addiction or drugs or gambling or domestic abuse, if it's not the economy, political sphere that we live in, terrorism. We feel 
like our world is falling down around us. Hear the message of Daniel. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Not suffering, not tribulation, not hardship, not peril, not famine, not sword. Nothing shall separate us from Christ. Now we may suffer pain, but in the midst of pain, let us take joy in Christ. The only way that we will endure with Christ is if we are in Christ. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3 that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Daniel, I'm sorry, David said it like this in Psalm chapter 51. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. We, by nature, are sinners. That's why you don't have to teach your children to lie. Because they know how to do that instinctively. Intrinsically, we are wicked people. That's why the world is in the shape that it's in. Because by nature, we are wicked, depraved humans. And the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. But, the greatest but in all the Bible, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates His great love for us and while we were sinners, while we were haters of God, while we were insolent, while we were, while we were rebels, while we were, were spurning God and all of His goodness, that He poured out His great love for us and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That if we would place our faith and trust in Jesus, that we would be in Christ. There are some of you here this morning who can't endure the hardship and the pain because you're not in Christ. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you need to give your life to Jesus this morning, if you need to hide your life in His eternal arms, May you do that this morning. If you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and your world is just, is just swirling around and you just simply need to, to, to come and be prayed for. And you come. Maybe this morning you need to take someone beside you, somebody in the pew next to you, and come to this altar and pray. As we sing this hymn of invitation, may you have the freedom to do just that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ we need not fear what this world may do to us. That in Christ we can have strength and encouragement. That in Christ we can be assured that neither death nor life nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God, maybe there are those here this morning who need to give their life to Jesus. Lord, may your Holy Spirit draw them this morning. There are those here this morning who are in the midst of struggle, pain, hardship. They need to come this morning and find comfort and grace. There are those here this morning who need to become a part of what you're doing right here at Redeemer. God, whatever is the case, Lord, may you find your church obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.